Malcolm Holmline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. With us with the weekly update here at JM the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. After a very eventful week, it's good to be back with you. No, it's an eventful week is right, and there's some really important stories we have to get to, but two things before we get to what I believe are even more important. Uh, first of all, the I mean, you know, thank God so many people, including all of us, were at the uh, Celebrate Israel Parade. I, uh, you know, as, as probably the person who has experienced the most regarding American Jewish leadership vis-a-vis Israel, I, I just have to ask you your impressions, opinion of politics entering into the parade. I get it. There was no real disruption of the parade. But you know that last weekend was, an, in fact, filled with reaction of, uh, of Americans, some Jewish, I assume, I assume some not, um, uh, toward members of Knesset who were visiting from Israel at the parade itself, of course. Again, I'm, I'll give credit to the groups that did not disrupt the parade, but certainly made their presence known in terms of their feelings regarding the current Israeli government. Um, is this unprecedented, or you've seen it many times before, where these types of demonstrations on behalf of Israel include lots of politics and conflicts? We've certainly seen it before. It's time to discuss the disengagement and many other times when the feelings were very high and um, people uh, came, used the parade as a vehicle to express their points of view. But it is the one time a year when people of all stripes, including many non-Jews, come together in support of Israel. And I think anything that disrupts that, and especially bringing domestic Israeli politics uh, into it, it's something that has to be very carefully weighed and considered. I have to say that they did not, there was a lot of concern that they would be disruptive and sit down and do other things. I think there was a lot of preparatory work to prevent that from happening. But still, the story that came out from this incredible event is the the the, the protests, the um, media jumps on it, of course, because that's what make it, it makes it interesting. True of any ethnic uh, event uh, when you have differing parties, but I think people have to think about when when is it appropriate or not. I think they have a right to come and express their views, and you know, American Jews should think very carefully about um, expressing it because then you invite political leaders. We saw even the White House weighing in on it uh, this week um, that that you have to think about what are the implications and the consequences of the work in terms of maintaining the unity of support, bipartisan support. There's nothing, I think, um, to be ashamed of when there are differences of views in a democracy. Uh, I'm proud of the fact that that Israel tolerates all different views and you can have demonstrations going on for dozens of weeks but uh, i i am always hesitant when when those internal issues are brought here though again people have a right to express themselves malcolm i i i I just got to get your impression of the following uh if in fact the expectation is that ideally, ideally, obviously it's not a reality, but ideally, let's say the expectation is that American jury at all costs should be supporting Israel, whatever that means. But certainly from your position, I'm sure you've always encouraged that, that the default should be, you know, support of Israel. Uh, how, how, what is the expectation from American jury when in fact they disagree 
with policies in Israel. If our default should be, and again, I know it's not reality, but when that's our default, that we need to express support and be there for Israel, how should uh, items like, uh, or issues that the American jury or groups of American Jews might disagree with, with the Israeli government be handled? Look, democracy is messy. Nobody says, you know, that it's an easy uh, system. You know, when you have a dictatorship and everybody follows one set of rules or views or are free to express those one set of views, it, sometimes it's easier, but not healthier in the long run. So I, I am not afraid of having dissent and having a variety of views expressed as long as people do it in responsible ways and and think about the consequences and how much of the energy that is dissipated in conducting that as, as opposed to balancing it by positive support and expressions of support at a time when Israel or at any time with Israel, but especially when we see the um, some of the threats that Israel faces, as well as the rise of anti-Semitism right. and how this United community becomes more vulnerable to those who want to do us harm. Well said. I'll move on in a second. I just want to say that uh, you would agree that this past weekend there were some who handled the issues responsibly and some who handled them irresponsibly. Would that be a good summary? I think that that's fair. I think, but by and large, the demonstrations uh, did not mount to what uh, was concerned. I think that that um, you know we have uh, when you have tens of thousands of people. And you're bound to have differences of view, but he, but the demonstrators carried Israeli flags. That's right. That's right. They didn't burn them. Right. And uh, I will came to the uh, Sheva conference to speak, and outside there were several hundred people. They had Israeli flags. They yelled at people not to go in, but they did not. There was no disruptive activity uh, per se. You know, threatening activity. And the the. Uh, demonstration actually looked like a pro-Israel demonstration right. for anybody who came by. In fact, in, fact, in fact, it was funny because there are people that I know who posted photos of that part of the parade, and I know they completely disagree with the politics of that group, but the group happened to have looked very good in blue and white and carrying the flag. So you're 100% right about that, and that positive has to be emphasized. I don't want people to think that I'm always negative when it comes to these things. I do admire those who are considering behaving in a, in a much more inappropriate manner, who really handled it in what could be considered to be a proper manner, as you just described. All right, I got called out last week by multiple listeners because there was a news item I skipped last week, and they were very anxious to hear your reaction to it. Uh, the behavior of Roger Waters in a public forum, uh, this time in Germany, uh, and, and really your impressions of his outrageous antics and what the reaction should be from German authorities and really from people around the world well i think everybody knows uh how we feel about him we have discussed him in the past it's a shame to have to waste time on him but uh it you know it has become a major issue and it's not just limited to germany now now other countries where he is appearing or venues where he's appearing become the subject of of uh uh, protests and people saying what, that he should not be hosted to go to Germany, put on a, a leather outfit with crossed hammers, which was meant to symbolize, we believe, or it has been alleged uh, the swastika or the Nazi, the SS symbols. 
um, and he, his provocative actions, this is not somebody who misspoke or who, you know, didn't know what they were saying, as sometimes does happen. This is deliberate, sustained, hateful message that he promulgates. Uh, I like the fact that he's under investigation now in Germany for it. I think they should not have allowed him to perform. It's not because of free speech. It's because it's hate speech. And uh, I think, you know, when he comes here, I hope that people of all kinds will will make known their views and that we will not continue to tolerate the haters and those who incite and those who who violate every standard. And he clearly does. This is... um, you know, there the are investigations, as I said, they don't check. They, that in and of itself is a good thing. But unfortunately, too often they don't lead to any kind of consequence. Um, but in the more orders case, I, I think that they did. And the fact that a lot of people protested and yet others came and listened to him and paid for tickets. I wonder if he's uh, coming to the United States anytime soon. That would be a golden opportunity for people in the world of entertainment and government uh, to at least make public statements and to make their opinions known regarding this issue. All right, let's move to Israel. Uh, this uh, What happened last weekend, a terrible disaster with the three Israeli soldiers killed. What could you tell us about um, the, what, what is being portrayed as a lack of security on the Egyptian-Israeli border? And in, in addition to that, uh, um, you know, th- this uh, this guard, this border guard who's responsible for uh, murdering three Israeli soldiers. I mean, affili- again, lone wolf or affiliated with some larger group. So, th- th- you know, it's a it's a more complicated case than many where they try to excuse it as a lone operative. And when it comes to the border of Egypt, the Egyptian government has is cooperating with Israel fully. They've. Um, you know, disclosed all the information that Israel wanted. The investigation is being done jointly across both sides. Netanyahu and President Sisi of Egypt have talked. And this guy, it appears, did not just do it on the spur of the moment. It looks like it was premeditated. He, he had to know all of the, the routes where he went. And right. he walked, I think, a kilometer and a half. And he went through a gate that is used by Israeli forces, but it was held by those ties, the plastic ties. So I think that they learned some lessons about having to beef up some of the security along the border because, you know, it's a long border. It's generally very quiet. There are drug dealers, especially Bedouin who smuggle stuff from both sides of the border. And the the two soldiers who were there, stationed there, I'm sure, you know, most of the time just have to stare out along the very quiet border. Uh, it's it's a, such a tragedy that these two young people and then a third soldier later was killed. Uh, I believe that there are no real lone wolves completely. It's not somebody who just snaps at a second, or very rarely, I should say, right. and conducts an act. There's somebody who influences them. There's a, It could be in a mosque. It could be in, in a movie. It could be anything that uh, incites somebody to, to carry out this kind of horrific act. In the end, to to do to die doing it, uh, and you know there is the drug smoke that is a legitimate uh, issue, and you know more has to be done to secure the border. Though, as you know, Israel has invested very heavily uh, to protect the border, the crossings to Gaza, the um, this very high t- uh, technology 
uh, uh, wall that they have, which I and I've seen the inside of it. It's really amazing. But it's a very long border to try to put up something like that across the whole thing. Yeah, it's uh, we always think and we know, and you've seen it as you've just described. Uh, you know the, the extent that Israel goes to secure every border and to it really secure every checkpoint and every crossing. I mean, uh, my God, if you analyze how much Israel has made sure to quote unquote isolate its, itself security wise, and they've had no choice, of course, it's just a mammoth operation. I mean, this uh, as you described this past weekend, you know, I guess reminds Israeli authorities and the army that you know there's there are certain weak points and certainly when there is a quiet border when there's a quiet area you know you know what happens everyone gets lulled into a sense of security and obviously the guard is let down a drop so i think all of that combined led to this tragedy yes um, so the United States, I, I mean, I've been fascinated by this whole thing because, as you know, every time the United States and Saudi Arabia, when that topic comes up, I emphasize how Saudi Arabia seems to always get you know, to the goal line but can never get over the goal line. With the Blinken trip this week, is there anything we can add uh, to the current impression of U.S.-Saudi Arabia relations? So there's clearly a lot of tension in the relationship that we've discussed uh, many times and have warned about it because it was not something that just happened. It's a cumulative thing, the, the uh, weaponizing the energy as the crown prince has, um, oil going over $70 a barrel for the first time in a long time, and the um, actions of the UAE pulling out of the naval cooperation. A lot of that has to do with frustration that the United States appears not to put the resources into the region, into the Gulf, when the Iranians seized boats, uh, ships, and now in the last time the United States did send uh, two of our Navy craft and they took back the boats, and but others were, were taken. And I think for Saudi Arabia, the, there's, um, they're sending messages and at the one hand, they received U.S. officials, and he had very extensive discussions there. But clearly there are, are real tensions. Saudi Arabia knows that their future does not lie with China or Russia, and certainly not with Iran. And even though Iran did open its embassy in Saudi Arabia this week, uh, I think that you know all the fundamental tensions remain, and Iran is not... Uh, has taken some steps, but not what uh, Saudi Arabia hoped for in terms of, of the uh, war being conducted by Yemen and the attacks against uh, Saudi Arabia. But I think that there, every country pursues its own interests. They, there is a process of reevaluation, and he clearly has a policy of uh, universal connection, meaning that he will wants to diversify from just being tied to the United States to relationships beyond that. And that's why you see these countries going to the BRICS conferences. That's why you see the, the uh, Shanghai Cooperation Council broadening its membership. People are hedging their bets and because I think they, they feel, and the United States does have limited resources in, in the Fifth Fleet and in, uh, in our interdictions, in interdictions of uh, the Iranians in South America uh, and encountering the growing Iranian influence there that we've talked about as they take over our continent. Uh, there are 
you know, and I understand we have a limited basis, but Iran now has these floating terror bases, you know, where they put on ships, the missiles, the planes and other things like aircraft carriers, but really, I would say, floating bases um, off the coast uh, in, in the Gulf and in the near the Straits of Hormuz, to which more than 20 percent of, of the West energy, American energy, flows every day. So these are all very significant and we have to look at this in terms of the long-term uh, implications, the messages uh, that are, are being sent. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSiegel.com and the NachumSiegel Network. And, of course, in the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline, Vice Chairman, Conference Presidents, Major American Jewish Organizations. Well, I certainly agree with that. Um, but, the, but there's one other factor, and, um, and, and I wonder if I'm right. There's really only one thing the United States has over Saudi Arabia, and that's security from Iran, right? I mean, it's not a money issue. They're not looking for for business deals at the moment, right? I mean, really, all that the United States can offer, and the only thing that they can hold over their head, so to speak, is that they're going to have their back when Iran starts up. And they are in no position to believe that at the moment the U.S. is ready to make good on that commitment. Well, I think there is much more... Um, in terms of the long-term vision for Saudi Arabia. Uh, and I think the Crown Prince has a long-term vision. Uh, I think American technology, American investment, American cooperation are important and things that he wants to see, especially as he builds that, uh, when he builds the new city that, that he has in mind in Naom. Uh, he also wants to see Israeli technology. He, he told it to me and has this vision, you know, the cooperation but, um, you know, he has internal constituencies he has to satisfy. He has external concerns that they have to to take note of. And and I think that they want to be treated with respect. And most of all, I think countries want to get see the message. And, it, and as I said, it's reflected in right. the decision of the UAE as well. But that, is that, that the difference? Yeah, is that the difference, by the way, that the UAE, you know, um, uh, inside that inside the UAE, the average people are, you know, uh, are, are ready to back the Abraham Accords and ready to make the priority, you know, business with the United States, technology, you know, business interests with Israel, etc. And Saudi Arabia does not have the people within its country that that thinks that way at the moment. So it is a factor, but one, the UAE, the majority still are are hesitant, and even though the people are very respectful and. Israelis, American Jews, others. You can walk with the Amaka in Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, many Saudis also reflect friendship. And there are Saudis who visit Israel. It's very clandestine and, and limited. But remember, when you've had all these years of indoctrination, it's hard to root it out. But they have changed their textbooks. So did the UAE. So did Egypt. Uh, they hold uh, Holocaust events. There are things that things have changed. And, uh, you know, I've witnessed it over the years, the, the, mm. the difference between what was and what is. But you, you, uh, the, the uh, UAE population, remember that only about 10 or 12 percent are Emiratis. The rest are all foreign workers and guests mm. who are not in, who have not shifted their views. But but and even amongst the, the native populations in all the Arab countries, the polls still show that a very significant percentage have hostility towards Israel. And uh, the Palestinian issue could be even in Morocco. 
uh, where you see the, the exploding relationships this right. week. The, the Speaker of the Knesset was there. The head of the National Security Council was there. There the, the are remarkable changes. There's but got it's not you can flip overnight. There's got to be an educational component also. I mean, I, I just have to assume that the people who are living in the UAE, as you described their backgrounds, and even the Moroccans, I, I just have to assume that they're more highly educated and uh, and, and certainly more open to, you know, to <laughs> to, to new ideas than Mahmoud Abbas's PA constituents. You know, we I, we, all, we sit, sometimes sit here and say, don't they realize that if they would just behave like the people in the UAE, they could have all of this, all this prosperity, this relationship with Israel and the United States and advance their country and do great things for their citizens. But I don't know if their Hamonam, you know, gets that or is it a level time to even understand it? um, I think that there are many Palestinians who would want uh, to have a a different uh, relationship, a different life for themselves above all. Maybe it's not so much, you know, ready for love for Israel, but for their own families and their their concerns. They don't trust their own government 70%. 80% 80% want him out. They, they, and, and many say that they, you know, still favor a two-state solution, though it is diminishing all the time. And all the polls uh, show that. Uh, the, um, you know, we see the weapon smuggling. We see the infiltration, the, the increasing role of Pidge and Hamas in the West Bank and in uh, incitement. Uh, this is going to continue. And Iran obviously plays a, a big role in it. If right. the Syrian border, Syrian internal situation becomes quieter and settles down, then they will be also be able to turn their attention more towards their own borders and external things. All of these things, it's, you know, these are all pieces of one puzzle, and you can't just separate out one thing. But I think you're right. Many of them know what they want. Look how many of them go to the hospitals in Israel, go to universities in Israel, yeah. and take advantage of it, even though... In their heart of hearts, who knows? Yeah, they most likely would love to avoid it. By the way, does the does a business deal, does a merger like Live PGA, you're talking about billions of dollars, and obviously it's U.S. Saudi. You know, I, I get it; these are private entities, but you get my point. We're talking about you know entity major entities in both countries conducting a massive business deal. Does this help the whole U.S. Saudi effort, or it's basically irrelevant? Oh, no, it's very relevant. Every time you have uh, more interaction, especially something that is on a mass scale, and many Americans, you know, watch the the Grand Tour and and, uh, the the, golf is very much associated with the United States. Uh, I think it clearly has a role. There will be people who don't like it, and you hear it on the talk shows, uh, many people calling in, resenting uh, the vomit, still holding Saudi Arabia accountable for 9-11 or for other things, terrorism. Uh, I think that uh, overall, economically, it's certainly going to give them a big boost and and not having them as competitive entities will facilitate for both of them, both sides. I wonder what goes through Iranian officials' minds when they see a deal like that. Like they must... they want to get into the golf club business. No, but seriously, they must resent the whole thing because, first of all, you know they they they're assuming they have some type of partnership with Saudi Arabia. But I, I would only imagine that you know knowing that the uh, that this type of partnership, this type of association, is only going to do what you just described. They they must resent the whole thing. 
Well, maybe they look at it and they say, look, Saudi Arabia pulled it off. That Saudi Arabia, when mm. it started this, everybody was right. against it. And they used their money, their leverage. And now the, the, the other side is capitulating and coming to them and merging with them. So I think they may see it as a humiliation of the West. All right, I hear that. And, uh, and meanwhile, the... Um uh, the uh, we described last week because it was really last week's story when Iran you know seized the tankers and the UAE refused to participate etc. I mean they they are going along their course completely um, uh, without any concern about what anybody's saying about their activities. I mean the way you described it, it goes all the way to South America and other parts of the world. Uh, at the moment, they really don't care what anybody thinks about them, right? Well, they do care because, the, you know, the country itself is going through an internal collapse. And if we were we step up the pressure, you know, there's a lot of talk about negotiations going on. I do not believe, as I said before here, that there's a new JCPOA, but there could be another deal, one that involves exchange of prisoners um, and, and that only incentivizes Iran. Right. Why, why, does, why does Netanyahu think that there's a deal going on? He gives the impression the way he speaks as if it's happening behind closed doors now. Well, because there are discussions that are going on, but I, I don't think it's about a JCPOA. I do think that they can do uh, something else. And one of the things that would be of great concern is the release of the or permitting the release of the seven billion dollars being held by South Korea of Iranian money and ten billion dollars uh, that Iraq holds, even though the United States may not have full control over it. But till now. Those monies have been restricted from Iran. They desperately want to get their hands on that money to, to help fund all of their terror activities, which don't diminish. The food to the people diminishes. Yeah. The suffering of the people increases all the time. Uh, but look, we, we saw this week the IEA uh, investigations that two of them were not closed but were uh, put on ice. These are This is information based from Israel, what Israel was able to garner about enriching uranium at different sites. Uh, we're not seeing the kind of concerted uh, effort. The United States does introduce new sanctions against people involved in illegal activities there. But the the stockpile of uranium has reached an all-time high, 114 kilograms, and enriched uh, to 80-some percent. And now the deals they're talking about would bring him back to 60 percent. But originally the deal was they would be at 3.5 percent. You know, and so wow. they... They gain each time at a higher level uh, of what and and the people pay the price. The the government doesn't because they control 40 percent of the economy. So all this illegal income coming from the selling of of oil and and, uh, helping uh, Russia bypass the sanctions from which they benefit uh, greatly all uh, uh, benefit. So Rossi, the head of the International Atomic Energy Agency this week, you know, um, uh, criticized them and said they're not closing the inquiries. But all the time we hear that there are still discussions going on. I, I was told this week by very high American officials that, uh, you know, a lot of this is not so, that, that they're not uh, looking to make a new deal. They get it. I hope I think Congress would not uh, approve a new deal at this time. But the the um, we know that they have these underground missile factories, drone factories, but most of all, nuclear facilities. Right. Uh, and th- these things w- will turn around the time that it will take them f- to make the weapons to weeks, not even months. Yeah. 
You know, that's what the free world is up against. And by the way, you know, we've been so critical of the mainstream media for ignoring most of this. But I have seen a couple of, I'm sure you saw the piece in the New York Times last weekend. They're, they're, they are highlighting, the international media are highlighting some of the heroes that are, you know, really sacrificing their lives to try to get the message of freedom and independence for Iran, you know, across to the rest of the world. They highlighted the uh, the woman who's now sitting in prison. By the way, I, maybe that's something important to mention. It, it, it makes us uh, need to appreciate the freedom and independence we have because you see how people around the world specifically in iran now are literally willing to give their lives just to promote the very same for their own people and you look at the courageous things that the government of azerbaijan hosted president herzog with all the fanfare that would be given to a major head of state or head of government head of state uh in his case um and uh you know iran blasts them and threatens them all the time over this and yet they they engaged in that kind of a public uh, manifestations. We see Greece and Israel's air forces this week again engage in joint exercise. We see Israel with African and other countries in Morocco engaged in, in joint exercises. That stuff doesn't make the news and people don't talk about it. But it's it's uh, really amazing to see the, the extent to which these things are, are taking place with and and the United Nations, you know, of course, is out there defending the one democracy in the Middle East. When the World Health Organization this week condemned one country out of all the countries in the world, and that's Israel. They elect Iran to be a vice chairman of the General Assembly. They put him on the Committee on Disarmament. I mean, it's so outrageous and, and, and it's beyond even mocking because it, it's so crazy that when you look at the facts on the ground, there are activities all over the region and beyond in South America, uh, circumventing, navigating the world with those ships as a demonstration against the United States. The, the, um, it's, it makes it very hard to reconcile what, what rational people would be thinking and what we see. So Israel is stepping up its activities. You know that they, they tested a naval iron dome that's admitted to a SAR-5, and it works, and this is going to be a big help in protecting the uh, offshore rigs, the oil rigs and gas rigs, but more importantly also uh, something that can be very helpful in in the naval uh, uh, attempts by Iran. All right, two more things. Um, Not that I I would prefer it this way, but are you, are you surprised even with, I mean, I know that they warn the families, etc. The home demolitions of terrorists in Israel, which is continuing. We've seen a couple of them uh, either having done, being done this week or, or planned for this week. Um, why isn't there more outrage from the world? You know, they, 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 they speak up against Israel for everything, but this practice doesn't seem to get the attention or am I wrong? No, they condemn it. It's an automatic part of the automatic condemnation. But there's such a laundry list of things which they condemn Israel. <laughs> this is this is not a life-threatening thing. This is a way that we know has an impact, and that the as long as pay to slay, which should be arousing the world's condemnation, the United States has consistently condemned it. But you know they they did that in the end decide to give money to. Palestinian Authority, right. despite the fact that they're diverting $300 million a year to pay the terrorists and their families and give, you know, outrageous uh, payments to those who die. And um, it, it does encourage them and it does uh, stimulate uh, the, these attacks. So I think that people are outraged by the, the attacks on civilians and the uh, 
already get got used to the idea of the demolitions. But the yeah. courts have to approve them. There is a process. It's not just random that people that the army decides are going to uh, just blow up somebody's house. They have to be approved, and it's and it's only when there are known terrorists involved. Israel has its own pay-to-slay policy. Your family will pay if you decide to slay. Um, and that's how they pay. They pay by actually losing their home. Not a bad practice, especially if it deters terrorism. And finally, uh, Malcolm, and I, I don't even know what I'm expecting, how I'm expecting you to react, but there's got to be a message in here somewhere. Uh, last week, a, um, a victim of Sabaro terror attack we're talking about 22 years ago passed away somebody who was lingering in a coma and i can only imagine you know their family suffering all these years etc i mean uh, not to make too big of a deal of it because i don't know if there is a philosophical message but what 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 are your thoughts when you hear about this type of um you know this this type of uh, suffering for a family all for all these years after this high profile terror attack Actually, a very good question because, you know, when we read of these attacks, our hearts break, people can cry, people see the horrific thing that she left the little children that she never saw grow up in any respect. And, but it also reminds us of the long term costs of all those who were wounded, all of those whose families were broken up uh, or, or, and the, the suffering uh, of wives for a husband, husbands for wives from the terrorism. It's indiscriminate. They go after, they don't care who they kill. They kill little children. They kill uh, adults. Those parents never forget it, never have a minute away from it. It's always with them. And having, you know, dealt a lot with some of the victims of terror and the wonderful work of one family and many other groups that, um, uh, it t- tells you the story of, of, of the burden that Israel faces, the, the costs that are involved. But think, to 22 years, she, was, she had to receive all the medical care and being in the hospital. And regrettably, they could not um, bring her out of the, the coma and, into, and back to her family. But there are thousands of victims of terror in Israel. And you think of the burden on the families and the loved ones and let alone on the victims and those who lost life, a limb, let alone life. In, in these attacks and you know we we turn the page as is human nature you know once it's it's over and the pain dissipates a little bit uh, you, you go on but that should not be the case we have to remember all of the people and when people are so live live to criticize israel or to attack israel to also remember all of the costs and how israel has remained a civil society and you know with arabs making up 20 percent of the population or not jews and the you, 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 it would not have been the same thing were it on reverse. So I think it's a very important um, message. I thought about it a great deal after passing about what, you know, everybody knows Sabaro, who was alive at the time. Yeah. We don't think of what happened to all of those families, and I kept in touch with some for a long time. Um, and, you know, especially in these days when we're, we're so distracted, I, I saw one piece of good news. I saw that the, the, um, the what do you call the Soul Doctor movie is coming out, souldoctormovie.com, and going to be in theaters the 13th all over celebrating Nina Simone's relationship with Shlomo Karlbach and reminding us of the better days sometimes in, in intergroup relations, black-Jewish relations. Uh, and, you know, the tens of thousands of people are coming to the, the theaters to watch this. 
you know, we have to we have to create a context for everything, for all of the challenges are not just arising out of nothing. There's history and and we have to to learn and remind it and teach the young people about it. Yeah. By the way, um, on that subject of black Jewish relations, it was incredible to see the the final float in the parade Sunday was Brooklyn Black Churches for Israel. And my God, were the people thrilled to be participating in celebrating Israel in New York City. Also, there are a couple of amazing social media uh, handles um, about black Jewish relations uh, that really highlight, you know, some of the commonality and some of the uh, the common celebrations uh, about Israel that the two communities share. So, you know, the troublemakers get all the attention. The people make the noise and say outrageous things. You know, they'll get all the uh uh, all the media hype, but uh, there are a lot of good people out there. We just got to keep finding them and keep forging relationships with them. Exactly, and and your, your point is really important. And I don't know how many people saw the float, but for them, it was such a wonderful manifestation. Oh yeah, and uh, you know, it's time that we put the emphasis and the spotlight on the good people instead of always highlighting the the bad guys. Hundred percent. Let's say it again. That encourages them. 100%. 100%. Encourages. Very good point. Uh, thank you, Malcolm, of Wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak, please, God, next week. God willing. Be well. Malcolm Honline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays, 7 a.m. hour, with a weekly update here at JM in the AM.